Greetings, Hempster. Thank you for tuning in to another hemp episode of Hemp Aware Radio. If you have a hemp company and you need help getting more traffic and sales, or if you're wanting to redesign your website, and especially if you want to start getting seen with masterful branding, graphic, and web design services, then feel free to reach out to us on hempaware.com or schedule a call with us so we can help you make your goals hempen. This is Tyler Hemp here, your hemp entrepreneurial host, as usual, here to empower and hemp hemp educate your hemposphere. It is a mouthful, but I I can get through it. I've been uh, saying these empowering words for many years. Why? Because it's for our food, it's for our homes, it's for our clothing and energy and healing and plastics and paper and fuel and so much more. And so in the spirit of raising your hemp awareness, uh, you're about to experience an insightful conversation with myself and Ryan Doherty of HempVentures.com. Sorry, .org. I do that. Um, and uh, Ryan is an intelligent, tenacious hemp entrepreneur that has been uh, working in the hemp fiber sector of all places, which I think is just such a crucial place to be operating. And he's actually the CEO of Hemp Ventures, um, but he's worked with other hemp companies like Sunstrain and has been offering consulting to other processing firms and uh, is actually currently working with the U.S. Hemp Building Association, which we're going to talk about in just a moment. But he's got um, such a great heart and really putting his focus in the right place. I'm super excited to have him on today's show. So thanks so much for being here, Ryan. Oops, let me... uh... Sorry, I think it was on me. Are you there? Yes, sir. Yes. Pleasure okay, to join. Cool. Sorry about that. Nice. No, I think it was actually my end. I appreciate you uh, being here. And so, yeah, share a little bit about your upbringing, kind of like what you've studied and your areas of expertise, and then ultimately what introduced you or how were you led up to industrial hemp? Absolutely. My pleasure. Um, so I'm originally uh, from California, but grew up, uh, had a privileged to grow up in many places around the United States, one of those being in Northern Virginia outside of our nation's capital and uh, had the experience of visiting um, our our original forefathers' homes of Monticello and Mount Vernon and was uh, originally introduced to, to hemp as, you know, the historical uh, fiber that was used for canvas, for rigging, for sails and uh, ships in, in colonial times and uh, was familiar with that. And I actually went to um, Langley High School and was right there in the, uh, you know, very close to D.C. and uh, had uh, a close relationship early on with cannabis, gotten some, um, uh, was very frowned upon, uh, no interest in hemp even back in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, yeah. I uh, had a early education and Funny enough, you know, people told me to stay away from cannabis. It would, it would take me nowhere. And uh, look at, look at where it is now. So it's uh, yeah. um, uh, definitely been a big turn within our lifetimes as far as the outlook and perspective on cannabis and hemp. But uh, I, I originally was very enamored uh, with cannabis and uh, found myself at the University of Colorado in Boulder, and uh, there was a lot of cannabis extraction and products being made on the. Uh, you know, other side of the plant, which uh, kind of is what led to Colorado becoming a leader in, um, you know, the industrial hemp CBD side originally. But that knowledge I brought back, um, and I actually ended up graduating from James Madison University 
in Virginia in that year that I came back to that school, they were doing a hemp trial program and I was president of the entrepreneurship club and I got involved in this hemp program and I had the opportunity to uh, pitch some people on, on a hemp processing company and began uh, uh, some, some actually some gentlemen from the area were interested in pursuing it themselves. And I was able to team up with these guys and we were able to uh, go around some of the world and see uh, what hemp fiber processing supply chains look like in other parts of the globe and took that information and we were looking to apply it there in Virginia um, in the Shenandoah Valley, but uh, we were a little early to the game and hemp was still under the 2014 farm bill and was just for uh, research purposes and you couldn't actually grow it for profit and, and process it at the scale we were looking to do. And that is uh, where I found myself in a stagnant position and ended up taking my uh, skills and abilities over to Sunstrand in Kentucky. Um, and that is kind of where the uh, uh, hemp did really take off with the 2018 farm bill and things uh, did get really exciting with the possibility of, of large scale fiber. Um, and as, you know, many people are very aware there was a great divergence of, of interest and in, in, uh, into the extraction and CBD and all the other uh, exciting potentials of, of the flower and cannabinoid and, and floral part of the hemp plant, uh, especially here in places like Colorado and Kentucky. Um, but that kind of, you know, boomed and busted. Now there's back to being a significant interest in uh, in hemp fiber, which is awesome, and, and uh, more, you know, national security interests uh, than ever before because we have a need for domestic reliable supply chains. So it seems like just all, all things uh, leading towards this and, uh, you know, in my, in my brief lifetime here, uh, lots of things have brought me towards this space. Um, but that all said, I mean, I, as far as my, my direct education, I graduated from James Madison University, uh, specialized or majored in uh, entrepreneurship and innovation um, and have, have used that uh, course to uh, um, keep myself working in hemp, which is uh, a blessing. Yeah. There hasn't been so many opportunities and there's, it's, you know, kind of a tough place to, uh, uh, find um, opportunities to pursue right now as everything's so new. Yeah, I know it's a burgeoning industry and there's tremendous demand, tremendous need for such a product with companies being dependent on petrochemical and lumber products these days and with, you know, deforestation and all of the toxic um, methods for pillaging petroleum it, it's uh, essential for our, our humanity it's essential for our, our life so the work you're doing is is um you know takes humility because um patience you know like the, the hemp plant it's um it's bending and flexible so it, it you know it inspires us i think in that way as, as as hemp entrepreneurs we're kind of standing for the plant even though it's been demonized and criticized and uh made illegal and all that um, so nonetheless, I, you know, hemp has had a tremendous history and I think has an even brighter and amazing future. Um, what are some of your favorite historical facts that you've, you've, I mean, obviously you've lived in, uh, the place where our forefathers grew hemp and, and, um, so you got a really intimate, um, 
understanding of, of George Washington or Thomas Jefferson, how they uh, grew hemp and worked with hemp. What, I, or, or it could be any world history um, fact. What are some of your favorites? Certainly. Yeah, well, I'd say the most interesting to me, people always, you know, ask about the applications of hemp. Um, I think it's telling and just, you know, uh, an obvious indication of its uses that hemp was the largest cash crop in the world for many thousands of years. It's been, you know, documented as uh, being interwoven into many cultures from Asia to European to here in the United States um, and, and all over outside of that. But I'd say as far as back to the northern Virginia neck of the woods, one of my favorite uh, tidbits of hemp uh, you know, historical facts is uh, regarding Leister Dewey, the uh, crop scientist for the USDA, who back in 1913 uh, worked on the USDA yearbook program, and they did a whole special on all the capabilities and you know the, the impressive growth of, of industrial hemp varieties that they had been developing, and they were doing government-funded hemp fiber trials on a farm called Arlington Farms in Northern Virginia that was previously owned by. Yep, 1930. I, I do believe those. Mm -hmm. That's the year that they the, they were working on this USD yearbook. But that's where they were doing the, uh, oh. the the planting of some hemp on the on a particular oh. farm called Arlington Farms, and uh, it was, I believe, the last uh, you know of that time period, the last government-funded hemp uh, mm -hmm. project of any sort. But that farm where the crop was grown it was. Uh, was after that not used for any more farm programs of the USDA. It was leveled. Obviously, Northern Virginia is now a very metropolitan area. There's not many farms in that area at all. But this one in particular was leveled and built on by the United States government, and it is the current location of the U.S. Pentagon. And so, right. the, you know, direct replacement of our uh, agricultural future with our, our current one, which is probably most likely led by our industrial complex we would not yeah. be so fond of if we well, saw the inner workings of yeah sorry i didn't mean to get you off no you're good but that's all that's just uh you know it's, it's amazing that we had been on this course and trajectory so recently in, in our history and uh we find ourselves almost starting fresh but it's not really the case mm -hmm. well it didn't um wouldn't you say the U.S. government funded the Hemp for Victory campaign? The uh, U.S. Department of Ag put out that yeah. video. I mean, you yeah, could that could kind I don't of think they were studying it. <laughs> yeah, it was more yeah, like wasn't as much research as it was. They knew exactly that it was necessary yeah. and how to grow it. And uh, right. you know, that's that's even a more telling um, that they only a great again historical. Uh, fact or you know uh, story is is that of the hemp for victory campaign and they they uh they shipped out and grew over three hundred thousand acres of hemp in two years and much of the ditch weed that farmers are relying on for genetics today is ditch weed from those train cars that was delivering hemp to the farms in mm -hmm. Illinois and Wisconsin that grew the hemp for that war effort and then after the Temper Victory campaign was closed off. They went back to their, and you know, that's the weird thing about hemp laws that has been very, you know, I wasn't here in the 50s and 60s to challenge these things, but, um, you know, it's always been very wishy-washy around the actual, you know, legality of hemp. Yeah. You know, there's been the Marijuana Tax Act and things of that nature that have made it very difficult 
to grow mm-hmm. hemp, but maybe not made it illegal. And throughout all the hemp laws of the recent U.S. you know um, courts and, that they put out, there's always been an exemption for mature hemp stocks. So theoretically, you could bring in mature hemp stocks and process them, and there's no issue with that. And that's still to this day. So it's very, um, <clears throat> you know, there's almost a uh, kind of a strategy, it seems like, from the government. If they made things outright illegal, it almost inspires U.S. citizens to pursue it. But if you make it very difficult, uh, that's probably mm-hmm. a better way to stop it from happening. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it seems the the more legalized it becomes, the more difficult. Um, I mean, yeah, it's 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 a challenging world to operate for sure. But um, you know, you're specifically helping with processing you know obviously farmers are willing to invest their land and their expertise and investors are willing to put money up for seed to um, get to those farmers per se that that are going to grow the hemp to be processed and all that so can we get a little in into the fiber supply chain you know today and give us like a 30,000 foot perspective of of what you're seeing and, and maybe where we're headed in the next like three years I will certainly give it my best. I don't have a, uh, you know, obviously I, I hope that uh, there's a whirlwind of, of investment and excitement and I'm underestimating where, you know, potential acreage could be and such. But uh, um, I believe, you know, one thing that uh, makes hemp different than tech or any other type of industry that can move at, uh, you know, uh, incredible pace is that it's limited by its cultural-based um, you know, we're, we're waiting on a crop every year. And so things that you kind of have only one move a year, it's like a very slow game as far as uh, building a business um, in terms of sourcing material. Uh, you can definitely innovate and make new things and develop new products. But as far as how much the industry is going to grow, um, it's very limited by the seasonality of, you know, a lot of places can only grow hemp between uh, May and September. So, and it's only got one season in many locations, so that that is um, a limit. Uh, but that is, uh, um, you know, what I think opens up the ability for more acres, and what does open up that um, need for more uh, process uh, or ability to process is more processing facilities. And uh, like you said, there there's certainly um, enough acres in the in the United States to facilitate much more hemp to be grown and there's definitely a market and demand for these products. Uh, there's mm-hmm. definitely a lot of la- lack of clarity um, in many parts of the country on exactly what will grow and how much of it, you know, will, will be yielded per acre and the best way to contract and, you know, standard operating procedures with farmers, um, especially down in like the Southeast in, in the Southern Carolinas and Georgia and stuff where it's highly humid uh, makes it tough to, or they just haven't found, um, or they probably found, they just haven't had lots of years of experimenting and trials with uh, varieties that were, you know, grown in those areas, uh, places that have uh, already seen lots of trial programs and they've figured out which genetics work. Mm-hmm. The only limitation that I see is, is processing capacity, and there's a lot of lack of know-how from fiber processors. Uh, or from people who want to be fiber processors. It's uh, an industry that doesn't have much translation to other industries in the United States as cannabinoid extraction and mm-hmm. grain production does, like grain processing. 
is very similar to flax or to sunflowers or to and there's extraction you know press oil presses all those all that equipment's very mm-hmm. similar and if you're transitioning from sunflowers to hemp you know you have, you already have a lot of knowledge same thing with you know either high THC extraction going into CBD extraction or extracting lavender and getting into extraction a lot of the same equipment a lot of the same principles um, but there's not much stuff and it really isn't in the industry in the United States because we don't really have much flax processing. So there's no real um, industry that translates well over to fiber processing. So it's a very mm-hmm. specialized and unique and underdeveloped uh, part of the the hemp world and uh, yeah. something that the United States has been very not involved in for decades. And so we don't have yeah. anyone to lean on. And we're looking at, you know, patents from the early uh, 1900s. It's the, uh, quite an exciting, um, you know, un, untouched uh, space. I wouldn't say untouched, but uh, lots of opportunity to improve yeah. how it's being done, for sure. So can you give us a, an idea of a supply chain or at least a processing plant? You know, if let's say a big money person was at the table and they're like, I believe in this, I have land and, and I, uh, I want to, set up a hemp fiber processing plant tell me what kind of like equipment would i need to to um to acquire and um sure. you know because obviously it's 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 a biggest um challenge is, is the money so let's say the money's there and uh the vision's there and people believe like what um obviously and there's Absolutely. tons of different yeah. ancillary products so give us an idea of, yeah that what that machine looks like Absolutely. So, I mean, there's there's kind of three things that you need to to have a, a go-to-market strategy uh, with with in terms of hemp fiber processing. You're going to need your raw material supply. So you got to have a, a farm program. You need to know what kind of seeds, you know, or what kind of cultivar you're going to grow and how to turn that into a viable feedstock for your processing. And your second thing you need is your processing center to take that raw feedstock and turn it into a sellable product. And then the third thing you need is sales, you know, a way to take that finished product and put it out in the market and make money and continue this cycle of paying your farmer and creating product and selling it and taking that money and paying it. So that's, that's, it's a three. If you don't have all three, that's kind of why, where, you know, even if you had all the money to go to a, build a processing center, um, there's still more expense because you're going to have to grow the hemp unless you're in a really ideal place in the country where hemp just happens to be around. Uh, you're probably going to have to instigate uh, getting that hemp grown. But as far as the equipment, um, there's same thing, three main things in a fiber processing center. Uh, unless you're doing it by hand, you know, I, I don't. There's not enough uh, fiber processing, you know, diction and, and words. You know, there's not Western processing style or something. But there's there's definitely different ways to process fiber, and there's a huge, you know, range in the budget of where you can start at and where you can get to as far as how automated the process is and how large the throughput, throughput being the amount of material you can put in and how much clean material is coming out the back end. Um, and kind of that's where the price range varies. And there's many different technologies, uh, some, um, you know, very simple and, and rudimentary, some uh, more uh, big equipment and using different principles and different means of separating the fiber from the herd. But, uh, you know, as, as far as the, the price range go anywhere from, um, you know, in the high hundreds of thousands, you know, hundred thousand plus 
for a very rudimentary line of equipment up to uh, in the millions to tens of millions for a high throughput commercial fiber processing line. Um, but running these numbers, say, on an average size system, like running two tons of material an hour, so investing in a system that would take up two tons. So if a bale weighed, you know, a thousand pounds, it could do two of those bales an hour. Um, so, or, you know, and then that's some of these systems that the throughput maybe is not uh, limited by what the system could do, but by, you know, if you have two tons of material coming out the end of the system, you have a lot of bags to fill and you have a mm -hmm. lot of uh, material to move around. So the logistics of the line can sometimes not be limited by actually how much material the system can eat, but how much material you can safely organize on the back in end, and out yeah. of it. Exactly. Right. But that is, um, uh, so running this off of a, say, a two ton an hour system, you are, and this is great, something to understand too about why the hemp space is so limited and why people aren't just launching products every day because it's not like petroleum and it's not like these other natural materials that we can just dig more out of the earth or something. Um, we have to create this stuff from scratch. So if none is made, none can be sold. But back to the numbers, mm -hmm. if you're doing two tons per hour, um, say in a regular year, you're working 260 days a year, you're realistically eight hour days. So you're running this machine for six hours or so a day. Um, so you're doing like 2,080 times two, 4,000, over a little over 4,000 tons a year, something like 4,100 tons a year of material. And that is like a little over 8 million pounds of material. And so you will, as far as to raise 4,000 acres or tons or 4,000 tons of material. If you're getting a conservative estimate on, you know, if you're doing a fiber variety, usually you should be able to get up to four or more tons, hopefully per acre, but our safe conservative number would be like two tons an acre. Um, you would need something like 2,000 acres, a little over that 2,080 something acres to produce 4,160 tons of material to sufficiently run a system like this for a year and like i said you'll be making like eight thousand or eight million some three hundred thousand pounds of material if you do it like 75 percent herd to 20 percent fiber five percent waste you're making like six million something pounds of herd and one million a little under two million pounds of fiber and that's your entire that's all you got but that is uh so realistically you can you need like a two ton an acre system or two ton per hour system and like two little over 2,000 acres of land and, uh, you know, a, uh, uh, the seed, you know, so if you're getting seed at like whatever it would be like three, five, safely like five to seven pounds, say five pounds, uh, uh, or $5 a pound and you're paying your farmer like 200, dollars uh, a ton um, you would you know you have to budget for that farm program which is like something mm -hmm. like 2 million or you know like a 1.5 million and then you have to do the processing center which uh, you know you have to pay for a building and stuff like that so um, and then the equipment on top of that so two to like something around the two million dollar range and then you got to operate this system so something to budget for operating capital so I'd safely say like 
to run a system like that and to have the farm program and to, you know, make sure you have enough buffer to safely pay employees and compensate your farm pro, you know, people and stuff, you'd need five, six million dollars and uh, could generate revenue of mm-hmm. like three, four million dollars within the first year just on that. And that's as far as an agricultural turnaround, uh, you know, one and a half year uh, break even is pretty unreal. But that's all that's all speculative, just, you know, put, trying to put numbers to um, estimate what that would look like. Yeah, and wouldn't you have to consider the proximity of the manufacturing plant? Like, you know, how many people can you serve within a certain geographic area with this one processing plant, right? Like on an ongoing basis. Because obviously one of the biggest challenges with the supply chain is distribution costs. So mm-hmm. if a plant is if, – if, if a group is going to invest in putting together – a manufacturing plant, um, but there's not enough demand within that region to ongoingly, or or a product that can be manufactured in that region. You know, it's um, whether it's a paper product or a composite product, plastics could be a building material. But it, it sounds like a company that has a finished product that has enough capital or you know revenue to put into their own vertically integrated operation like would there be a would there be a plant like a hemp fiber processing plant that could have an output of say you know 12 or, or 10 different like um, grades or like what what you know would there be um, like a, a very narrow um, set of options as far as the output for, for a particular plant if you know what I'm saying. Or is it yeah, like, no, yeah. Sure. It definitely, you know, when you when you do have fiber and herd coming out, it's not all looking the exact same, certainly. You know, you have to separate and specify and, and mm-hmm. refine to get it as uniform into different, you know, classes as possible that everything doesn't look the exact same or come out the exact same size. Um, but that definitely falls on processors. That's, that's when I, you know, when you the third part of that, very key, uh, you know, when looking to set up a fiber processing facility, it's having the markets. Um, and there's definitely, you know, as we talk about all the time, tons of uses for these materials. Um, mm-hmm. And there there are definitely applications for every size and particle distribution of hemp, uh, either fiber or herd, but uh, definitely takes a level of acumen in the space to be able to access, access those markets or also to operate your system um, all the way through to the farm program at the uh, proficiency that it needs to be to keep your material consistent enough to uh, have continued demand, which is, you know, a struggle lots of processors have around the world just because hemp is a natural material and it's very hard to maintain consistency on mm-hmm. its output. But that is, um, you know, I, I'd say – there is definitely, uh, I would recommend and see the future of hemp being vertical integration and, and domestic local supply chains. That's like, you know, the hopes, the the optimized uh, plan for it. But that is, um, you know, as it develops might be a little different because people will need to 
break down the supply chain and, you know, work on specifically developing a product and getting it to market and raising capital around that before they can build back into the supply chain. And it's uh, definitely not simple. I mean, nothing in, in getting into farming is not simple. I mean, that's, that's about to the extent it goes to, if you're going to be selecting cultivars and telling people how you need the crop grown, um, it does get pretty uh, it's an overwhelming vertical to step into, especially with how new it is. But I think there'll be more potentially like agreements between, um, you know, processing groups and people with products or somebody with a certain need to, uh, you know, come up with an, an agreement that they'll buy X amount of fiber uh, mm-hmm. and, and be able to get more consistency in their supply chain. But that is um, to be seen how that will develop. It's also, very typical, you know, people that have spent all the time and resources and effort to get to the point of having a processing facility often don't want to sell commodity goods. You know, they don't want to sell their fiber and herd at, at, at base value. They want to upgrade the value of the materials naturally just as a business move. And it yeah. makes the most sense to do that closest to the processing facility. So I think we'll continue to see processors also feeling out which markets are the most consistent and then building verticals themselves to the market. Um, exactly. But that said, there'll always be there'll always be little amounts of uh, waste or or you know uh, byproducts, uh, either fines or uh, fiber that's too long that can't be used for certain applications. That people will, once they have enough of it, uh, find other applications. I'm sure to fill in the market. Well, speaking of all the different applications, what do you think is the most important use for hemp right now on the planet? Like with, you know, regard to pollution and the destruction of our environment, like what hemp product would solve some of the biggest problems on the planet, do you think, right now? Certainly. Yeah, I think I'm very enamored with the idea of hemp building materials and, and replacing our built environment with a much less toxic, much more natural material like hemp um, and, mm-hmm. and other materials like lime and things of that nature and, and looking at the you know, pie graph of, of how much impact certain industries have on the world. Uh, construction is one of the most uh, you know, prolific impacts uh, using tons of resources and uh, we surround ourselves with these not so healthy resources sometimes. So that is uh, where I'd like to Uh, focus. It's also something that just has such a large up, you know, some people don't realize how small some markets are, for example, like textiles. Um, If you look at, you know, a big company replacing their fall line with hemp textiles, uh, the impact of that compared to building thousands of homes uh, out of a new carbon sequestering material is is definitely, it's, it's crazy how little hemp can be used in, in a very a uh, highly recognized product, and then how the opposite is is true, where you could see hemp disappear by the, the thousands and thousands of tons into stuff that you would never even realize it's being used for. So I think that uh, building, and that, that extends to using it for all sorts of construction, for using it for re- retaining our sound barrier walls on the side of the highway and huge, you know, things that, again, could just absorb so much, uh, which is now all used, you know, using concrete and other materials that we could uh, see being used with hemp, that, and also, you know, for agricultural uh, or erosion control, you know, large um, erosion mat type uh, materials and such. But uh, that, and then 
you know, one thing that's not been explored too much with hemp that, you know, we know we can do just because the science of it um, is, is break it down. You can, just like we do with trees, you know, that's how we make paper and specialty sweeteners and all sorts of stuff. They take, you know, the plant matter and they dissolve it. You, you break it down into its core components and then rebuild those things into new materials and products. And that's something that you can absolutely do with hemp once there's viable production and, and processing capacity. You know, we do need to separate the herd and fiber still because they're made up of different compounds and components. But, uh, for example, herd, um, you know, you can in very much the same way that other companies have figured out how to take a eucalyptus tree and break it down into its core components and isolate that cellulose and turn it into a healthy lyocell or I should say healthy, but an eco-conscious and uh, sustainable uh, supply chain lyocell called Tencel. They, they can do similar processes or, you know, there's the capability to um, do similar things with hemp. And uh, my partner, actually, the gentleman that I uh, started Hemp Ventures with, John Lupian, he's uh, been in hemp longer than most, and uh, he is uh, a, a wealth of knowledge in the space, and he actually is pioneering these processes and has been working on this, uh, you know, dissolution process for uh, quite some time. But uh, one of the key missing pieces is a whole lot of hemp. Right. So speaking of what's missing, I mean, where where are some of the biggest opportunities right now as far as hemp fiber? Obviously, you mentioned the biggest problem, which I'm 100% on the same page as our homes. Uh, not only is, like you're saying, that the construction and building industry contributing to some of the greatest amounts of toxins and pollution going into the environment, just, you know, with all the transportation, but also the building materials themselves. Um, but then we're living in those toxic buildings and then we're getting sick. So it's like a double whammy. Um, but then the fact that it sequesters um, the carbon, you know, in our homes, just, it's like a tri triple win. Um, but as far as like, you know, finished products on the market, what do you see as some of the biggest opportunities um, you know, uh, that people could start creating products for? Absolutely. There are, and I hear it all the time, uh, you know, because people want to put up large scale campuses and they want to do R&D on hemp and figure out what it can be used for. There's, you know, uh, one really great place to look for the potential future of the U.S. hemp market is other hemp markets around the world because they've been further developed and have had the chance to figure out, you know, what, what hemp is really good at and what places in the market really like hemp materials. Um, one of those is in, in Europe already construction, um, and one product that in particular we're already seeing take hold here in the United States and uh, domestic production coming online here soon is for bat fiber insulation replacement, so using the hemp fiber as, as an insulation material, um, and they're using different thicknesses for different applications, uh, even using even thin insulation for compostable packaging and stuff like that. Um, but I'd say uh, there's definitely some low-hanging fruit on, on the fiber side, uh, grow mats and insulation, you know, bat fiber insulation. That's uh, a certainly a, a good product that there's tons of 
market space to to be replaced with with a more sustainable and eco friendly option. Um, I would on the love herd to see side, mm-hmm. certainly. Yeah, and so the on the herd side, side there is uh, um, animal bedding and building grade herd for uh, hemp line construction. And so both of those, I mean, all of those four products are something that we see imported heavily into the United States mm-hmm. or previously being imported heavily. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of that's entrepreneurs here in the United States uh, feeling out the market and seeing if there is enough consistent demand to justify domestic production. And now we're kind of seeing that transition uh, out of somewhat necessity as shipment prices keep going up and doesn't make as much economic sense to import things. Um, You know, we have a push to bring those supply chains local anyways, but there's also the advantage of of shipping and and logistics and herd is really not a great product to ship because it doesn't compress very much Mm -hmm. at all. And so it's like shipping styrofoam. And so that is what we will hopefully see. Um, But yeah, those are kind of, uh, um, you know, very known, needed. Uh, if there were more supply, there would be more use of it, guaranteed. For it sure. would probably spur more innovation. Um, but like, that is kind of yeah. stuff that's that's very, you know, the market's very proven out here, guaranteed. And then, uh, um, you know, obviously there's interest in, in high-quality high hemp fiber textiles and such, but there isn't much of the downstream processing capabilities here in the United States, which is again, another reason why my partner, John has been pursuing uh, a alternative to, to a hemp fiber that wouldn't require wet processing and those steps uh, that take kind of the environmental benefits of hemp out of it a little bit. If it requires tons of water and produces toxic effluent and all that kind of stuff, that's not, uh, you know, what the the goal of switching out hemp for textiles was. So hopefully mm-hmm. there's a uh, cleaner alternative that can be found. But that is yeah. something that's really, you know, uh, something that people don't take into account a lot is, is how we're processing fiber a little bit differently than they do in, in some parts of the world, you know, particularly like where we get our hemp from typically um, it's grown on a much smaller scale. You know, we're, we're, we're taking this right to the American large scale ag scene. Um, we're processing mm-hmm. hemp from bales, you know, round or square baled hemp. And in a lot of places in the world, they, they cut their hemp by hand or, or very carefully and keep it all oriented. And they, they strip the fibers. They don't blast them off or anything. They strip them while the plant's still green even. And they do a lot of this stuff by hand, like very labor intensive. And that's just something that we don't have one, the cultural knowledge and uh, expertise in. And, and it would be very tough, I believe, to convince American large scale agricultural landowners to get out and start cutting their hemp by hand and stripping it. And, such. <laughs> and then people uh, wonder why a, this uh, product is so expensive. I mean, it's a very niche market, but if we do um, capitalize or, you know, invest in this industry, we can have it available to more people at a more affordable rate, you know, so um, not to take away the jobs of these small communities because they'll still be able to serve their communities, but um, 
So, I mean, obviously, investing in an output of, of a high-quality hemp textile grade fiber is much different than, say, uh, a, a basic processing facility that will just, say, put out um, hemp herd for building materials and animal bedding and then some bast fiber that could be used for any non-woven applications, just real basic uh, outputs, you know, with vast fiber less than say three inches or something. Um, mm-hmm. So one of the big, you know, cause I get people that call and they say, Oh, I, I want to invest in a textile manufacturing plant. And it's like, okay, <laughs> like, do you really? Um, so as far as that, or, you know, if, if somebody, um, yeah, if, if somebody wanted to, um, gosh, I don't know what I'm trying to ask here. Um, but anyway, I'll go into my supply next chain. They, they wanted to go from crop to shop with the with the textiles. Right. Yeah. So, like, I mean, because you said anywhere from hundred thousand or three hundred thousand, all the way up to tens of millions. Um, I mean, yeah. I guess is is. I don't know what that question was. I apologize. It's kind of awkward, but um, no, anyway. no, no worries. I, I would, I, I think, uh, um, and just to comment on that, there's so many steps. I don't think anyone exactly. realistically in the near term is going to be taking stuff all the way from, you know, a grown fiber uh, or, you know, or from the seed um, to a finished t-shirt. You know, if anything, that'll be pretty to yeah. prove it's possible or to just to show the supply chain, but doing that at, scale probably won't make sense that's why they don't do that in other industries mm-hmm. you know you, you you've become specialized in different pieces of the supply chain i think you know farmers will definitely be able to grow better hemp quicker than someone just getting into uh, agriculture but i think that uh, all, a lot of that stuff will continue to be spread out and we're going to continue to see supply chains either globally or, you know, around the United States as there's only some services available in some areas and, and that'll continue to hopefully grow. But uh, I don't think it's at this point really that viable to look at investing in a whole crop to shop textile mm-hmm. facility. Um, right. and, you know, that's just my, I would start off with getting fabric and proving out the hemp market, although I think it's pretty proven out, but uh would look at maybe just sourcing the yarn, you know, and there's people in the Carolinas working on making hemp yarn or hemp wool blends. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, that is, uh, that's a bite off a piece at a time. Totally. So how, how based on your like research and playing around with hemp fibers, how would you say they compare to other natural fibers or, or synthetic fibers and how they perform or like their makeup or structure? Sure. Yeah. Well, hemp is is well known for it, it's a hollow fiber, so it it allows air to pass through it, which allows it to breathe, which makes it a natural uh, makes it resistant naturally to mold buildup and to um, you know uh, it's not a good environment for bacteria to grow. So they say it's like an antibacterial uh, um, fiber by nature. It doesn't. It's not actually like it doesn't fight bacteria. You know, if you put it in a nasty place and wrinkled it up and made it wet, it'll, it'll, stuff will grow on it. But the way that the fibers allow air to pass through it makes it uh, very naturally um, bacterial resistant. And 
so that's why they use it for socks and undergarments and in baby um, uh, clothing and in hospital wear and such because of its properties in, in that regard. Um, outside of that, I mean, it doesn't obviously create microplastics or have any, um, you know, toxic chemical uh, makeup in it. You know, it's not made out of old plastic bottles or something, so you're not having to worry about what other chemicals are in your fiber and it's not breaking down and creating microplastics, um, mm -hmm. which is something that gets into our air and our, in our systems and we eat it and breathe it. And, uh, so that, that's an extremely uh, beneficial piece of it, but it also mm -hmm. performs, you know, incredibly well. It's got uh, very high uh, vibrational dampening capabilities as well. They use it um, compressed hemp panels in automotive vehicles and for, sound absorption panels, and that's what gives it its great thermal uh, regulation, you know, thermal and acoustic um, insulation. It's, it's very impressive in its, in its capabilities there. As far as compared to other natural fibers, um, it's quite comparable to, like, flax uh, or mm -hmm. um, other bast fibers. Uh, one of the greatest things about hemp, you know, I wouldn't, it, it, like, Flax and other natural fibers are incredible as well. Sometimes uh, work even better than 100% hemp things when you blend two fibers together because you get the advantages of both mm -hmm. of them and different fibers hold together better. Uh, but I would say that hemp, you know, it's a unique thing that makes it so cool compared to all the other fibers and such is that hemp can be grown all around the world and it's one of the most productive and uh, it's also the only one that governments around the world fear and have made it legal. Yeah. So it's like got this great like story behind it. Um, but yeah. I think we'll continue to see, and there's an interest in flax and uh, other natural fibers like canaf and jute um, more and more as we kind of see the effects of these polyester fibers that they, they deteriorate quickly. They have negative health effects. They might not be good to have on your skin. You know, all those science isn't proven probably on purpose, but that is uh, mm -hmm. um, one of the definitely uh, uh, clear, you know, it's, it's highly durable, well-known, um, and it's, it's can become through mechanical and some chemical treatments very, very soft, and uh, mm -hmm. you know, I kind of think we're just beginning to see that. I have lots of hemp clothing that people all the time, you know, can't believe it's hemp because they're right. they're used to hemp being canvas-like material, which ironically the word canvas comes from the same root as the word cannabis because all things canvas used to be made from the <laughs> uh, versatile hemp plant. But that is, uh, um, I would say, all that, and, and uh, the, one of the other awesome factors of it is that you're wearing a plant. So the qualities that ye, the plant used the fiber for, as this was the skin of the plant originally, that cool hemp clothes was clothes for a plant, which is pretty awesome. But that, that gives it natural abilities like it is resistant to UV light. And, uh, you know, it's definitely more so than other fibers like cotton and such. Um, and something, you know, to compare it to, the most famous fiber here in the United States and our, our most prevalent natural fiber is cotton. We're some of the world's best fiber processors, but we, we chose cotton. Um, that is the uh, cotton plant is, is actually like a, the cotton fibers are pure cellulosic puffs that are intended to help the seed travel to a new location and plant itself. And we've 
mutated the hemp, the, the cotton plant to create a giant puff and for the seeds to not blow away. But that is, you know, where the fiber comes from. So this little tiny stick, you know, grows out of the ground and produces a little puff that was meant to mm. one-time use, you know, was meant to send the seed off to a new field. It's its, it's distribution of seed method. Um, but that is uh, nothing compared to the awesome plant armor that the hemp plant wears for 120 days and then leaves for you to uh, wear yourself. So I think there's, there's quite a... Uh, you know, it's just a much uh, more robust fiber due to the what the plant uses it for. I love that. Yeah, I, I'm a wordsmith, and I love seeing those parallels. You know, the um, yeah, the skin of the hemp plant becomes our our skin, our our makeup, our hemp and royal regalia to uh, to protect yes, us sir. from the rays. That's awesome. I so agree. Yeah, there's, a, there's a great guy. Yeah. Out in mm-hmm. California, Hemp Zoo, that calls it Hemp Armor. And I always think about that, Jason Russell. Yeah. Jason, love Jason. He's a great guy. So it's you're it. a entrepreneur like Jason, like myself, and you've um, studied entrepreneurship. I mean, that's super cool in, in school. So you have an open mind to the idea of sales and making money and, and providing a service to the world. And the fact that you've hooked up with hemp is just like, you know, the coolest thing ever. Um, so what sort of things are you currently doing to market Hemp Ventures and can you get the word about your guys' consulting services and, and how you're hemp powering the world? Yes, sir. Well, I appreciate that. And, yeah, it's definitely uh, um, just to talk on, like, I want everyone to know about this opportunity. I think this is the not only purpose of the creation of the United States, but the greatest opportunity in our nation's history. We're kind of at a – uh, a tipping point of deciding or redeciding our, our purpose, I think, as a nation and the direction we're, we're going to take to to build our future. There's just lots of young people that would like to see it be a little different. Um, and uh, I think this is, you know, I've never seen so much excitement around a plant. It's, it's mm-hmm. quite a unique, uh, you know, a very unique opportunity. Never seen uh, something like this be re-legalized. And uh, like just it's it's like nothing else. It's like if we just discovered uh, a plant that can do all that timber, cotton, and petrochemicals can do, and and in a fraction of the time, and everyone can have a piece of it. Um, it's it is quite. It's like they've been saving this one for us or something. Uh, well, but you know, I do see it as an. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I was well, just I, kind of brought up this idea of it. You know, a part of me thought, man, what if the world could adopt hemp as the essential solution for our food, shelter, and clothing, et cetera, as quickly as the world adopted wearing masks? Like, whatever campaign was put together to convince people of that – like can if can we just apply that to utilizing hemp? I think like wh- whoever is running that marketing campaign, <laughs> I think that's yeah, what we dude. need for hemp. That's anyway, funny. That well, I, I unfortunately I tell people all the time, you know, it's the government that took hemp away in the first place, so the game is a little rigged. So I'd say get with your friends, yeah. get with the yeah. people you trust. Let's change the world one person at a time because exactly. it ain't gonna be. Uh, we're not gonna get the government top down. <laughs> 
Yeah. So, but all, all that said, I do. Um, I just I, I want to highlight too. I think this is the greatest opportunity in American history. Like it is so, yeah. and it's and it's so like quiet rumbling. It's like uh, you know when people come aware of it, they they're shocked at the scope of what this could mean. And uh, so I really hope that you know there's there's nothing that happens that that sends it in the wrong direction again, kind of like CBD did. Mm-hmm. And I think there's people that still to this day have, you know, the hopes that hemp doesn't revitalize and it doesn't inspire uh, the collective and, and remind Americans about why we started this place in the, in the first place and mm-hmm. what, uh, you know, our, our life and liberties are, are, you know, being uh, attacked and, and, uh, the fact that uh, we're celebrating that we can grow the plant is, is quite um, confusing to me, to be honest. I I don't know how we got in the state of letting our government decide what we can and cannot grow to begin with. So I think we need mm-hmm. to really shift back. But uh, as far as the hempreneuring and, and how I uh, get the word out there about hemp ventures, I definitely uh, we're, we're at a lot of – hemp conferences and such. One thing that kind of makes it tough for us to sell these fiber processing systems is that there's not that much fiber being grown. And so we are, you know, kind of where people go to like last step once they figured out where they're going to grow and get hemp growing. And oftentimes they've explored other smaller fiber processing solutions. It is kind of tough to jump in at a you know, large scale system with thousands of acres coming online. And we are working to uh, help that process a little bit to, to create one, a smaller system so that we can um, help people get some, get, you know, processing at a lower capacity and a lower price point. Um, mm-hmm. And then on top of that, you know, creating, uh, we do advise on, on varieties and, and helping find, uh, the right seed suppliers and all that stuff for free and, and help people get, uh, you know, an idea of what investing in a fiber processing facility looks like. But one of the main things we're doing is looking to put our own processing facilities out there. Um, you know, we also, too, talk to tons of people. The hemp's got a dual-edged sword. It's so inspiring, but it also people immediately just say, like, I want to start a fiber processing facility without quite considering the, you know, uh, complexity of, of an operation like mm-hmm. that. Um, and it's going to be much easier to sell these things and much easier to sell people on the idea of this supply chain if we go out there and execute on it ourselves and, and really show and trace, you know, and, and have successful farmers with successful stories. Uh, it will mm-hmm. tell a much better story than uh, kind of some of the stuff we've seen. You know, there's been some processing machines that have have gone out into the world and, and not performed as described and and really set people, you know, back and, and scare investors off. And uh, that is, is can't afford much more of that here in the hemp space. So hopefully yeah. um, got so, good, so in, good stories coming to the market. Exactly. Yeah. And there are optimistic people out there that have um, a vision and, and, and money to invest so if they wanted to get a hold of you, maybe somebody that owns some land and they want to start farming the hemp or even uh, team up with um, a group of people, some maybe want to get into the processing and they've got farmers, they can uh, link up with you. Where's where's the best place they can find you or um, get some advice? Yeah, well, our, like you said, our website, hempventures.com. 
org, and uh, you can reach myself at my email there, Ryan, R-Y-A-N, at hempventures.org, uh, or my phone number, 703-581-4456. Be happy to uh, I have like a little uh, – um, you can schedule a consultation call there on the website as well just to learn a little bit more about these, uh, these supply chains and these systems and, and how we can engage. And that's kind of, uh, like I was saying, too, one thing we're really looking to do is, is create kind of that uh, um, yeah, more seamless process on, on that. So it's not as, um, you know, right now we just sell these systems and, uh it's pretty unapproachable. You know, it's hard to, we'd like to provide more of a, a, a thorough uh, service where we, we come in and help with the farm side of things, um, getting, getting contracts, you know, right and uh, uh, help run the system and help guarantee the materials get to market. Cause just leaving mm-hmm. someone hanging with a system is a tough, uh, well, a lot yeah. of people look at it and say, we'd like a little bit more um, help than that. And, and, and have ventures, you know, we have, uh, hopes to to run systems and to see the production of those materials all the way through to to finished products, and so and again, there's so many people with the same hopes and goals, and I think it's going to be a collective effort and tons of processing facilities coming online here soon. But as you know, once there's ten, I think it'll things happen to you know double. Typically, you know, if you have two, there'll be four, and then once there's when there's ten, you'll get twenty. You know, things move at a quicker rate when yeah. there's more. More people getting eyes right. on it. More assurance in the market. Larger contracts needing to be met. Um, so we just hope we're well positioned uh, to help keep growing things, and there'll there'll be need. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not one thing we touched on already, but you know, I, I think there's there's tons of people here in the United States who are consistently, you know, they want to put up fiber processing, but they want tried and true and proven systems. And I hate to break it to everybody, but hemp was legalized two years, three years ago. And uh, it's just not going to exist. You know, it's not going to, you're not going to get a, a display case like you get for a tractor with all the info on the systems and everything, because uh, they're all brand new. And, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, a lot of it's being developed right now, but uh, they're not going to have years of runtime or, you know, I wouldn't get into hemp if you want something tried and true and proven because it's it's a brand new industry. That's that's uh, all the excitement about it. But uh, that mm-hmm. is uh, kind of one thing that's a miss. You know, farmers are very used to lots of years of experience behind the equipment they buy and such, and that is another reason why we'd like to come in and and prove out the efficacy of it as well because it is it's a hard sell and we we understand that for sure as it being brand new, but. That's why you go out and do it yourself. Yeah, so I really appreciate that. It sounds like what you guys can offer with Hemp Ventures is not basically the three things that you had mentioned at the beginning of, of uh, you know starting out with good seed stock, really picking genetics that are going to be ideal for that part of the world, wherever they're wanting to grow and for whatever their goals are with the, the, the uh, end product, so choosing the right seed and then coming up with a sellable product, you know, getting your machines dialed into the point where you can have a consistent, steady supply of, of a product. And then third, um, a sales and distribution chain, essentially, you know, a way to market or get that product to the market. And if you've got those three pieces, which it sounds like you guys can help people with, you don't want to just leave them hanging. That's uh, super valuable. And, and I look forward to 
working with you on you know finding these people because uh, it's definitely where our hearts at and we want to see these hemp houses and plastic cars uh, like yesterday. So appreciate what you're doing. Yes, I uh, you as well, Tyler, and uh, I appreciate the time very much. And uh, yeah, feel free to come back with any questions anytime, and uh, look forward to working with you as well. Yeah, as a um, a parting question. What are you currently doing with the U.S. Hemp Building Association, and how can people get more involved there? Yeah, well, I am on the board of the U.S. HBA, and I run the Supply Chain Committee, and we are uh, currently, they actually just uh, a few weeks ago in New York, they got the uh, proposal RB316-22 for the International Residential Code passed, which is the first step towards ICC, which is the International uh, Code Council, formally adopting hempcrete as they officially recognize building material, which would streamline lots of building projects, make it uh, so that hemp lime is in an international construction code, like section, so that people, anybody that does these approvals or gives out permits could refer to that. So that's uh, a huge um, accomplishment by the USHBA. Myself personally, I've been working on a, a few of the things under the resources tab. If you go to ushba.org, there is a, uh, a map of a lot of, not all of them, but a lot of the hemp uh, structures that have been built in the United States. And then there's also a map under that called the supply chain map that highlights the hemp supply chain, uh, particular to the building industry, and shows you where you can find hemp building supplies or hemp suppliers of construction grade materials um, and uh, the likes of those sorts. Uh, but that is, again, the U.S. Hemp Building Association at the USHBA.org, and that's a great organization that uh, I am privileged to be on the board of and helping push that part of the, the hemp space forward. For sure, yeah. Definitely appreciate the work that you all are doing there. It's essential and uh, very much appreciated. Um, I did actually think of one last question that kind of came up as you were saying hemp lime and and hempcrete. A lot of people immediately think of concrete when they think of hempcrete. And some folks refer to it as hemp lime. Um, Can you just kind of clarify that for people that are interested in the building aspect and and what what, what that means and what it is referred to as? Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's a great great question. I think um there's still an applicable name use for hempcrete. There's some applications like most recently I was on the building site of a uh, a privacy wall and they actually did mix Portland hemp Portland concrete and put hemp into it as a filler and it makes a great textured concrete wall with hemp in it. And that that's a better application for the word hempcrete, but just uh as you were saying hemp as it's been known, or hemp lime is a combination of hydrated lime and herd, the inner woody core of the hemp plant, and water. And what happens is that lime is going to be turned back into stone, but as you mix them all together, that viscous lime mixture actually soaks into the herd and essentially petrifies the herd, turns it into a stone. And that's where that hempcrete misnomer or name has come from is because the herd almost feels like it turns into concrete but 
it, it definitely is misleading as hempcrete uh, or, or a hemp lime blend of a traditional hemp lime and water blend is not load bearing and, and is not a direct replacement for concrete in really any capacity. You wouldn't want to use it in the same ways that you use concrete. Um, so it's not good for sidewalks. It's not good for foundation of a house and such. But uh, the hemp lime is, is probably much more fitting name uh, as, as it's a blend of hemp and lime. There are some hemp lime companies or building construction companies that kind of claim that name or have, you know, been using it for a long time. And uh, I don't know if it's something that's even debated anymore, but I think that's, uh, you know, it's just hopefully there's not as much of a misnomer, but even calling it like a hemp lime blend is a good, um, you know, uh, way to refer, but definitely hempcrete has created a little bit of a, uh, misnomer and, and misled people about mm-hmm. the function of the material. But there's also, there's great other uh, hemp building products that are coming online, precast blocks that'll have cool branded names that'll make it, you know, maybe more clear their, their function and their application. And then there's prefab panels and then companies like Amerishandra or Amerishans and Amer- uh, Cameron McIntosh that are working with uh, spray systems, the E-Reezy, so they're spray, spraying, doing spray mm-hmm. cast. Um, but that all said, hemp typically uh, is, is an insulation system, and that's another thing Cameron kind of has, has pioneered, just um, you know, referring to himself as an insulation installer, um, which is, is much more, you know, we're not really building houses out of mm-hmm. hemp. We're insulating the homes with hemp. It's still a wood right. frame house typically, um, but that is mm-hmm. uh, much clearer. Uh, you know, I think hemp insulation, uh, obviously there's someone's already – got the name of hemp salation um, or something like that uh, makes mm-hmm. a little more sense. And also when you look at a house and you use your, you use your brain, you know, what, what, you couldn't, the hemp plants only so long, we, unless we were making timber, um, special, you know, replacement from it, but that is, uh, there needs to be a structure to the house, you know, but the, the hemp herd is what's filling in the home. But all that said, yeah, that is definitely uh, that space is, primed to grow exponentially and uh, I think we'll see lots more hemp construction materials coming to the market here very soon as that is a uh, especially with domestication of of supplies and all that price fluctuation you've seen in the last two years and stuff there's significant interest to find more Mm -hmm. sustainable reliable and especially domestic and more controllable supply chains to source exactly. those materials, but uh, yes, sir. Yeah, that is thanks for clarifying. Hemp lime topic. Yeah, hemp lime, hemp crete. It's um, yeah, and like you said, the different finished products will also have different kind of branded names or nomenclature. So everyone will get used to it eventually. But um, as like the final thought, do you have any uh, advice for other hemp entrepreneurs out there that are maybe just getting started or entering into the hemp world that you'd like to leave them with? I certainly do. I have unlimited advice, but uh, I, will, I will keep it uh, terse. I would say to, uh, I would definitely as more of generic entrepreneurial advice, just because the hemp uh, there's there's something called the shiny coin syndrome in hemp, where there's there's so many different directions to go, it can be very overwhelming. But um, I would say start with a problem and and address that because it's much harder to. Uh, uh, go the other direction and, you know, say, hemp, I'm going to fit this into the market somewhere. I would live your daily life and find a place where a hemp product would be superior um, and a great fit and, and compete and not just be a replacement. You know, it's got to have, um, 
purpose. You can't just force hemp into the market. Uh, so I would say, you know, find a problem and, and address that problem with a hemp solution. But uh, it's definitely harder to be sitting there with a pile of hemp and saying, how am I going to sell this? Um, so I, I think it's best to uh, start on that side of the, from the approach. And then outside of that, um, just know the limitations of the space. You know, there's uh, lots of opportunity in, in selling cannabinoids because there's tons of them. There's lots of opportunity in selling seed product, you know, grain, uh, or getting contacts to have, you know, there's more supply of that, but don't get into the production of a product that the material doesn't exist. I talk to people all the time who are wanting to make something out of hemp graphene or hemp textiles made in America. And uh, I, I tell them, you're, you got to enter the, the race of making that thing first before we can sell it. Um, yeah. But that is uh, something that definitely exists in the hemp world big time of, you know, people that want to start herd brands and they want to buy all the herd at X price. Um, you're going to have to go build a processing facility because that material is totally. not going to exist unless you make it. Yeah, no, and that's super great advice. I mean, it's actually also the secret recipe to starting with a really good story is uh, start with the problem. You know, the the more clear you can be about the problem you're solving, you know, not only, you know, there's actually a couple expressions. Number one, the amount of money that you can make is directly dependent on how big of a problem you can solve. That might have been Charlie Munger or something. Um, and then the other thought was um, uh, yeah, just the, 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 you know, the hook, to hook people into a story. The bigger the problem, the more descriptive you can be about that and identifying your target market's problem. Um, you know, the more that uh, they're going to want to invest in your product because you can position your product as the solution to their problem. That's like the, the secret recipe for sales. So thank you for sharing that. Completely. And just to, to cap that, our hemp ventures, mm -hmm. we are doing, the problem we are addressing, we are transformatively simplifying the um, changing of, oh man, I should go read my, my own mission statement here. But we are uh, – I have it written down here. We're transformatively simplifying the transformation of hemp stocks into viable consumer products. That's what we're doing. But uh, we are creating domestic fiber processing solutions, which is uh, the bottleneck in the supply chain, in our opinion. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we have some fiber supplier or um, decortication manufacturers here in the United States and in Canada but they're at a throughput and, um, you know, partially problem solving in my opinion, you know, creating some of the machines necessary, but not mm -hmm. a full solution from bale yeah. to cleaned product. And, and selling that whole system is something that really does lack here in the United States. And even in my opinion around the world, there are some, some experts in parts of the world, but it seems like their systems are very specialized and, um, you know, they're not on, on a replicatable goal or on, yeah, mm -hmm. they're not, they're not out there entrepreneuring. I mean, they're not putting more systems right. out and there's, you know, a U.S. hemp industry should be backed and based off of U.S. processing equipment. I mean, it's just for, for, for replacement sure. parts, for maintenance and care, for price mm -hmm. point, for not being 
held subservient or you know mm-hmm. relying on anybody. That's the whole point. That's why we came here. Dang it. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. But that is uh, that's that's the whole. Yeah, that's the goal. Sweet man. Well, appreciate your expertise and and uh, your tenacity and your focus and in, in moving this industry forward. And look forward to continually making it happen together. And so for tuning into another episode of Hempware Radio. Thanks, Ryan, for being here, and we'll uh, catch you all very soon. Thank you, Tyler.